The Bible is a book of men and women living out their lives in relationship with God. They might be living out their lives in a relationship with God as their judge or as their savior and Lord, their king. The Bible isn't a book of prayer, but of men and women praying. It's not a book of beliefs, but a book of men and women believing in God. It isn't a book of ethics, but a book of people sinning and repenting and allowing God to write them again. And the Bible shows God graciously working through it all with those people that he has called into a relationship with himself. We look at the life of a person over this time period between now and Christmas. We look at the life of Abraham who was known as a friend of God. How amazing. And and I don't think, as as I prayed, I don't think we really recognize how phenomenal it is that Abraham was able to be a friend of God out of the blue. Because we, in this epoch of time of, of in, in church history, in biblical history, especially knowing Christ as our Savior, we understand a sense of what it is to walk as God's friend, especially with the, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But for God to speak into time and space... And to call this one man into relationship with himself is really phenomenal. Now, I was talking with someone, and and, uh, we were talking about going into uh, the book of Genesis. And they said, well, we were just there, weren't we? Yeah, I look back on it. It was four years ago. (laughs) Uh, So if you're interested in Genesis 1 uh, through 11 leading up into Genesis 12, you can find that on on the uh, church website. But something that we saw in Genesis 1 through 10, and, and really 11, which is, is uh, um, genealogy, these huge events that, that ended epochs of time and began new epochs of time. You know, the, the world and what it was like before sin was in it. The, the world, what it was like after sin had entered into it, but yet all mankind spoke the same language, had the same culture. And then the Tower of Babel, in which that brought an upheaval and a change of one epoch of time to another, in which, in which mankind split off into different language groups and cultural groups. Uh, and of course, between, uh, before that was the flood, which began a completely different epoch of time as well. And, and through these huge events that define human history, that define our experience on this earth, we see in chapter 12 of Genesis the, the focus narrowing down to one man and one family. It makes me think of movies where, you know, there might be just um, viewing the huge rolling waves of the ocean that would toss an ocean liner to and fro and then focusing in on one little fish swimming amidst it. That's the picture that we have here, at least in my mind. Welcome to my strange mind. But the story of Abraham starts with what makes Abraham special. 
right off the bat, God's sovereign work in his life and really in the history of mankind. So we look at Genesis 12 here, starting with verse 1. And I should say that chapter 11 ends with this genealogy and ends with talking about Abraham's father, um, Terah, and Abraham, and, and it describes them leaving the Ur of the Chaldeans and moving to Haran. And what we learn from Genesis 12 is how God had called Abraham while he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, and we'll see that in Acts 7 too. But we pick up in Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, I'm sorry, Abram, We'll see in our series here where his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to do this a lot. Um, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, this would be his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, when we uh, learn about these stories from the scriptures, from these men and women from the scriptures, and we, we tend to learn them in this kind of toss salad you know, a uh, way of like, we don't often learn them in their historical perspective. Uh, we miss the idea that God all of a sudden picking one man out in order to have a relationship with him and a relationship with his, his descendants out of the billions of people on the earth. We miss the huge significance of this. And, and also I want you to see the key themes of the rest of the book of Genesis. Really the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These key themes are set here in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12. Now I want you to see that God always lives, as we saw through our time in the book of Hebrews, God always lives with his privileged people in a covenant relationship. In the, in the, for the Old Testament, testament means covenant. The Old Testament was about God's covenant relationship with his people, Israel, as a part of the Old Covenant. As a part of the New Testament, the New Covenant it is unpacking the idea that Jesus, in his own blood, in, inaugurated a new covenant for God's new privileged people, his church, made up of Jew and Gentile to live in relationship with him by his covenant. God's steadfast love is his covenant love, and it is based on his covenant relationship with people. Ladies, you all that go to the Bible study on the covenants of God in the Old Testament, you're going to learn a lot more about this, and I'm excited about that. We'll look more specifically at this covenant with, is, with Abraham soon. And we'll see the details develop more in specifics later, especially in chapters 5 and 17 of Genesis. But the New Bible Commentary says this, In reading Genesis, we must ask about every incident. How does this contribute to the fulfillment of this promise of land, nationhood, in covenant relationship of blessing to the nations. 
this promise and these specifically these elements of this covenant relationship that God began with Abraham, every other incident in Genesis is a reflection on these things. So interestingly, we, we see... God speaking, if you were just reading these four verses, you would see that God is speaking to Abraham, and then it says, and he left Haran, all right, which I thought he was called by God in Ur of the Chaldeans. Well, Stephen in Acts 7 helps us to better understand this. He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, speaking of Ur of the Chaldeans. And before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So just a map here to kind of show what uh, Stephen is talking about is Ur of the Chaldeans. And many of you have seen this before. Is, is really where later Babylon, uh, modern-day Iraq, is, is located. And Haran is up to the northeast. And what you don't see on this map is the Fertile Crescent of, of civilization and of agriculture that, that uh, the journey from Ur to Haran would have followed. And so it was Abraham's father, Terah, and Abraham, the rest of Abraham's family that went with him. And we can discern from these passages that it was really in honor of his father, Terah, and it was probably Abraham's father that was kind of like, I don't want to go any further than this. It was after Terah, Abraham's father, died in Haran that, as Stephen tells us, after his father died, God removed him, speaking of Abraham, from there into this land in which you are now living, which God had called Abraham to Canaan, which became uh, modern-day Israel, the Jewish promised land. Uh, They called it the promised land when they were in Egypt because it had been promised to Abraham and to them as his descendants. So I hope this doesn't confuse you too much, but back into our passage in Genesis 12. We read, And Abraham took Sarai, her name would later be changed to Sarah, his wife, And Lot, his brother's son, being his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You know, as we have titled this series, Friend of God, being a friend of God must be really, really special. I mean, it's pretty much the best name dropping a person can do, right? You know, I was just talking with God the other day, 
And um, this is what he kind of told me. This is what I was saying to him. You know, what if what if you were to say, you know, I, I was just talking with... Uh, you know, for me, it's Albert Moeller, you know, or I was just I was just talking with, I don't know, uh, in Indianapolis, um, Bill, Ga- Bill Gaither, right? Is that the name? Um, and, uh, you know, we were just uh, shooting, shooting the breeze. Or I was I was just talking with with Peyton Manning. And um, he was telling me about his kids. You'd be like, you what? I mean, how the ultimate and, and this is an example of we don't really Think of the significance of this, of this one man being called out as a friend of God. I was just talking with God the other day. Excuse me? You know, the, the, the most amazing name dropping you can think of. It's a pretty amazing to be able to talk to him and to ask if he could help with a project, right? You know, I'll just give my friend God a call. I bet he can come in and he's got some tools for this. He could probably help me with this. And as we'll see, Jesus let his followers know that he considered them his friends. And anyone, will, as we'll see, who trusts in Christ is also considered a descendant of Abraham, a friend of God themselves. It's pretty amazing. And so I think it's important for us, first of all, we're not necessarily unpacking these first these these verses at first here, but it's amazing and it's important for us to see what it means to be God's friend. Where does it come up that Abraham was the friend of God? James speaks about it in James 2.23, where he says, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, meaning righteousness was added to his account. And he was called a friend of God. James connects Abraham's righteousness from God with his being a friend of God. It's kind of like a guy saying, hey, if you're going to roll with me, you need to change those clothes. You know, or if you're going to hang out with me, you need to clean up your language. You know, and and as it comes with God, it's like, if you're going to be a friend of mine, you need to be perfectly righteous. So Abraham had to be, had God's righteousness credited to him so that he could be a friend of God. And being credited with righteousness, this, it's described here in Genesis 15, when God tells him more detail. And you, we can read in Genesis 15, verse 5, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And then verse 6 of Genesis 15 says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So it was upon Abraham's belief in the promise of God. And I share this from Genesis 15 so that you can see how Abraham became God's friend. Abraham had faith. He trusted in faith. And as we learned in Hebrews 11, as we saw in verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham was saved by faith, as we saw in Hebrews 11. So Abraham got his fire insurance, right? He got his fire insurance. He went on to put it in his drawer, you know, and and he went on living his normal life, right? No, not at all. He began a relationship with God. 
He wasn't just declared righteous and move on like he found some genie in the bottle or some golden fleece. That's how it would be if this was a mythical tale, right? Or, or as we heard, just such an incredibly unsettling statement from the, um, the, well, it's the saint, the patron saint of the Russian Orthodox Church this past week, declaring any man that dies in the war in Ukraine, it is such a righteous act that he is doing that if he should die in that, all of his sins are forgiven. Hey, that's the ultimate fire insurance, right? That's the kind of like relationship, not, not even relationship, that's the kind of arrangement that we would think of with God. This mythical idea of, oh, I fought this God and I attained this power or this respect. I became a demigod. I became a titan. And that meant I can go on and do whatever I wanted to do. No. God gave Abraham a relationship with him. He was called God's friend. That's what God has always called people into, into a relationship with him. We'll see more in the New Testament, the explanations of this in a moment. But see how Abraham was celebrated throughout the Old Testament because of his ongoing relationship with God. Jehoshaphat speaks in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And all the promised descendants of Abraham would have the opportunity to be friends of God as we see this physically in the nation of Israel in Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All of this because they are descendants of Abraham, God's friend. And as descendants, they as a nation were his privileged people, his friends as a nation as well. You know, if someone introduces you to their friend, what would you expect to hear about their relationship? Maybe how or where they met? Maybe uh, things that they've had in common? how, How they got to know each other? Experiences that they've had together? That is a friendship. That is the relationship that Abraham and, and all of his descendants, as we see, we will see from Galatians 3, anyone who trusts in Christ is a descendant of Abraham. This is the type of relationship that we have been called into. How, how did you meet him? What experiences have you had with him? What do you have in common with God, your Savior? Throughout this series, I don't want you to just better understand Abraham. I want you to see the principles of what it means to be able to walk in relationship with God as his friend because of his righteousness that has been given to you. And I think we'll see over and over that it is not about impressing God. None of us have a relationship with God because of catching his attention. Because God looked at us and said, hey, I want to be on that guy's team. 
It's all about his gracious choice to declare us righteous and to let us know him. But like a coin has two sides to it. Relationships have two sides to it, right? And the same is true in relationships like a coin. And the same is true in about a relationship with God. But know this, God does the heavy lifting. God makes the relationship possible. As we see everything that God promises Abraham with. And what we do like Abraham is trust and obey. So looking at a relationship with God like two sides of a coin, let's first see God's side of the friendship. So looking back here at Genesis 12, we read, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, Ur and Haran, these two cities, the, the, the city that Abraham was called from and the city that he moved to uh, originally with his father and his family, they had something in common. They were both major centers of worship of the Chaldean moon god. Abraham's father and Abraham, before God called him to himself, were worshipers of the Chaldean moon god. And we, we take that from historical fact and, and other uh, things, not just from that idea that the center of those two, those two cities were center of this worship. Nothing is said of Abraham worshiping God before we meet him in Genesis 11 and 12. Nothing is said of him like what is said of Job that he walked in a relationship with God, or of Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High God, though those two are not called friends of God like Abraham is. God speaks to Abraham, I believe, as audibly and as loud as this moon worshiper needed him to speak. And he made it clear what he wanted him to do. And he made it clear that Abraham would be the beginning of something special between God and man. Friendship. Covenant friendship. God promised to give Abraham a land. And more detail is going to be given. As, he, as we mentioned in verse 15, he says to Abraham, look around. All this is going to be your descendants. God promises to give him a great name. Abraham's friendship with God would change his life into something recognized by all as significant, impactful, and purposeful. And this flows from his friendship with God. He promises to make him a great nation. The ESV Study Bible says God's purpose for Abraham, that he become a great nation, stands in obvious tension with Sarai's barrenness and the summons to leave his homeland. Would have been easy for Abraham to say, uh, that's great, but why not do that here? I got everything set up for it. I mean, I got these business ideas. I've got these partnerships. I mean, I think I'm right on the cusp of being great here, God. God says, no, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to go put you in the middle of cities and people that are inhabiting that land. 
you're going to start from scratch. And you're going to start being a great nation with a wife who cannot have children. Welcome to God's way. And fourth of all, he tells him that he will enjoy a special covenant relationship with God. And essentially, God tells Abraham that he is going to take personally, God's going to take it personally, however somebody relates with Abraham. All right? Somebody blesses you, I'll bless them. Somebody curses you, I will curse them. These are essentially what all religious people care about. God's blessing and staying away from God's cursing or whatever God it is that they're worshiping. And Abraham becomes, for the entire earth, the litmus test of how God is going to relate to someone. How do you treat my friend Abraham? That's pretty amazing. You know, we experience that. It's like, hey, you can't talk to my friend that way. Hey, you know, or, or somebody's talking bad. Hey, don't talk about my friend that way. God says, I'm going to take everything that's done to you personally. That's friendship. Last of all, he tells him he will be a blessing that will spread to the whole world. The inclusion of all of the families of the earth anticipates the gospel, salvation in Christ for all who will believe. And we'll see that in Galatians 3. But think about the giver side of a relationship, right? Parents or grandparents with with children or grandchildren at Christmas morning. No concern about what the child might have been given in reciprocating that gift, but just like looking like, oh, I want to see the look on their face when they open this. Only wanting to enjoy the giving and the seeing of that gift being received. The Old Testament is clear that a relationship with God is based on his steadfast covenant love, grace, even throughout the Old Testament. And the New Testament is clear that any relationship with God is due to God's grace still, his steadfast covenant love, just now in Jesus' blood, in the New Covenant. The New Testament is also clear about the fact that even Abraham had a relationship with God by his grace and not by his works. You can read in Romans 4, verses 1 through 3, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith, by grace, through faith. And we see that all who trust in Christ are included in those who are blessed through Abraham, as Galatians 3, verse 8 through 9 tells us. And the scriptures, this is, this is really cool, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I don't know about you, but I didn't, I didn't like read about the cross or things like that in this revelation to Abraham. But we're being told here, he preached the, God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, and what a wonderful verse, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We access the same friendship with God through the same process 
that Abraham went through, trusting and obeying what God has provided. And for this, if you know Christ as your Savior, you should be grateful. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have one thing to offer to God, your sin. And that might sound strange, but here's what it looks like. God, I got sin, and it has separated me from you. But Jesus paid for it. He took the penalty of it. And so God, my sin, I believe, was laid on Christ so that I could have your righteousness. Will you take the penalty of my sin from me? All these sins that I've committed, all these sinful thoughts that I have, all these sinful ways that I walk in, and let me know you through Christ. That's how we begin a relationship with God. He confirms that with his Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we too become a friend of God. Well, let's look at the other side of the relationship coin and see man's side of the friendship. Kind of let the cat out of the bag there. It's about receiving. It's about trusting and obeying. And we see in Abraham's life, it says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Step number one. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Anybody want to make that walk at age 75? <clears throat> and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abraham trusted and obeyed. And, by, and so by the time he leaves from Haran, that kind of stopover uh, that, uh, where Abraham's father, Terah, died, he entered into the most difficult part of this journey, into the unknown. Interestingly, this, this statement here, the people that he had acquired in Haran. Jewish history describes Abraham as becoming a preacher of this relationship with the Most High God. And, and it's understood that when it describes the people that he acquired in Haran, these are people that he led into the same faith in this promise of the Most High God. I mean, we know, we'll see chapters later that when Abraham needs to go and save his nephew Lot, he has an army with him. And, and this is the first place that we see that this is, these are likely converts to this promise that travel with him. So we have this picture of it just being like Abraham and Sarah and a couple donkeys behind them. And that is not what we're talking about here. Abraham became a prophet of God as well. And so we'll see next what Abraham did when he entered Canaan as an outnumbered outsider. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Shechem, specifically, is a center of Canaanite pagan idolatry. 
And they typically set up their worshiping area around groves of trees. So this oak of Mora would have been regionally known, likely as being one of these Canaanite worship areas where they would do these detestable things. And we're told specifically, the Canaanites, they were in the land, believe me. And so we see in response to God's appearing to him, or, or let's see here in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. He must have been sitting there thinking, Well, God, there's some folks you're going to need to evict first. There's some ways around here that are not your ways. I don't think these folks are going to listen to me the way that people did up in Haran. What does Abraham do? Right there in the middle of their idolatrous area. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. This would be a city establishment. From the east of Bethel he pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. These are two intimidating regions, Bethel to one side, Ai to the other, maybe even cities of that day that his descendants would one day possess. And there he builds an altar to the Lord. Abram trusted and obeyed God despite how the situation looked at present. Think back to that Christmas morning, you know, parents, grandparents sitting there waiting for that child to open up that gift to see it. And the gift goes into their hand, and and what if the child looks at it and decides, I'm not sure I want this. I'm not sure I trust the giver. I mean, maybe you gave them something really lame the last Christmas or one of those. I don't understand anybody that puts one of those boxes in someone's hand that, you know, you pull it back and the fake spider comes jumping out at the finger. That is not a friend of mine if they're going to do that. (laughs) But, you know, uh, maybe a child's gone through that a couple t- too many times from uncle or, or grandpa or something like that, but they're looking at this gift and they're like, uh, I'm not sure I want this. What a bummer would that be for everybody involved, the giver and the receiver? What if the, the woman standing over the man who's on his, his one knee down asking her for her hand, she looks at him and she says, can I have a month to see if anybody else, you know, anything better were to come along? In order to be the receiver of a gift, in relationship in that way, we've got to receive it. We've got to accept it. We've got to make it our own. Abraham is doing this no matter what the situation around him. He is putting that altar down and saying, it is still true no matter what it is that I see here. No matter what it is that lies before him. And the basis of a person's relationship with God is always grace. And the form of our relationship that it takes is a covenant relationship with him. But our role in that relationship, as I have said, is to trust and obey. Jesus told his disciples, as I mentioned before, that his friendship with them is evidence of their obedience despite the circumstances. We read this in John 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Then he says in verse 19 of John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see what I say? Throughout this, what I want you to pick up is the principles of what it means to walk as a friend of God in a world that is no friend of God. And you know, I pity the world because of that. James warns his readers that we can't be friends with God and friends with the sinful world. In James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you, not under, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And one New Testament passage that I love thinking about this, this double-sided coin of a relationship with God. And I've shared this with many of you in personal conversations and such. One New Testament passage that I love that describes this double-sided relationship of conversion. Coming into a true born-again relationship with God is Ephesians 1 verses 11 through 13. In which first in verses 11 and 12 we see God's side of the coin. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then we see in verse 13 man's side, our side of the relationship with God. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We talked last week about the closing benediction of the book of Hebrews, where he prays, may the God of peace equip you. I mean, there's a lot of equipping that's available from God. We described it how it's almost like, and, and the same is in beginning a relationship with God. It's like setting up dominoes. It's like God has set up this elaborate, since before the foundation of the world, he's been setting this up. That's mind-blowing. I mean, it says in Revelation, the names that were written in the Lamb's book of life since before the foundation of the world. Understand that. But So God's been setting up this relationship with him. And he's got it all set, and he's got this one domino, and it's like we're just told, believe. Believe me. Trust me. And it's like a question of, you know, am I going to take that domino? And I believe. And God has done the lion's share of the relationship. That's what it comes down to. That's what we see going on in Abraham's life. God said, go and do this in the next uh, couple verses later, so Abraham went. That's what it looks like. When a person yields to and obeys the gospel, God unleashes regenerating work in their life and they are converted. And the evidence is the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And if this describes you, let, your, let it change your life. Devote yourself to knowing and getting to know God better as his friend. I'd just like to close with 
the lyrics to a song that I love. And I've, and I've been looking forward to sharing these lyrics. Um, it's a song by uh, one of my favorites, Andrew Peterson. It's called Canaan Bound. And, and it says, Sarah, take me by my arm. Tomorrow we are Canaan bound. Where westward sails the golden sun and Hebron's hills are amber crowned. So bid your troubled heart be still. The grass, they say, is soft and green. The trees are tall and honey-filled. So Sarah, come and walk with me. Like the stars across the heavens flung, like water in the desert sprung, like the grains of sand have our many sons. O Sarah, fair and barren one, come to Canaan, come. I trembled at the voice of God, a voice of love and thunder deep. With love he means to save us all. And love has chosen you and me. Long after we are dead and gone, for a thousand years our tale be sung. How faith compelled and bore us on. How barren Sarah bore a son. So come to Canaan, come. Where westward sails the golden sun and Hebron's hills are amber crowned. So Sarah, take me by my arm. Tomorrow we are Canaan bound. Our relationship with God begins one of trusting and obeying the gospel. Just as Abraham's relationship, friendship with God began with God's graciously calling him out. And Abraham trusting and obeying him. Where is it maybe that God's got you standing amidst circumstances that seem daunting? That seem like you're just surrounded. I don't mean this mean against any neighbor or anything like this. But you're just surrounded by Canaanites. And God's calling and saying, obey me. And he wants you to build an altar there. Let's go to Canaan with him. Let's bow our heads. Father God, like, like all my friends here, I'm astounded that you called me into a relationship with you. I'm astounded that you blessed me and continue to bless me with friendship with you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to change my heart and change the heart of my friends here that when we are tempted to value the blessing over the one that blesses, that we remember how amazing it is to be in friendship with you. And Lord, when we look around and we wonder, how can your promise, how can the, the friendship with you work in this setting? that we would be willing to stand in faith to build our altar and to worship you with our lives in that place, wherever that might be. I have a feeling it's a little bit different for each one of us. But thank you, Lord, that you are able to walk in relationship with us, each one. And I pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.